Well, welcome to HBF. If you're here, grab your Bible. We turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13, and uh, we'll be getting started. Thank you, gentlemen. What a great, what a great start to the service and good praise. Uh, man, it's a good time. So I'm excited about all that God has for us today in the Word of God. And so it's been a while. Thanks for everybody that's covered for me the last few weeks. Um, it seems like it's been a long time since I've been here. It seems like it's been a long time since I've been here. It seems like it's been a long time since we had Bible conference. And, um, but, you know, it's only been a few weeks. And uh, it was only, um, you know, just a few weeks ago, four weeks ago to, to yesterday that we trimmed our last Bible and shipped it over uh, to, uh, got it, we got it shipped off after that uh, to, you know, get those Bibles headed toward Ukraine. And so uh, last week, Pastor Randy made an incredible announcement uh, that uh, the Lord has provided $63,913 toward the um, uh, purchase of a new trimmer. So that was awesome. If you haven't heard that, praise God. Amen. That is a gift of God. Amen. I'm just like blown away. I should be gone more often. So uh, anyway, uh, so but I appreciate uh, Pastor Steve uh, la- a couple weeks ago standing in and then last week Bill Johnston. Uh, coming and preaching the Word of God. And then, man, this morning, to see these baptisms, how exciting it is. And so, uh, and I'm excited about all that God is doing. And I'm, I'm thankful for all the faithful men and uh, women of this church. Um, some of you guys have been wondering about my daughter. She's still improving slightly every day, so keep praying for her. And I covet your prayers for her. This coming Wednesday, we're going to have a special guest as well. His name's Pastor Saul uh, Matayu, I think is how we say that. It's a, a he's the associate pastor with Valeria Chibwana, and uh, you'll want to be here for that. As Mark Trotter's uh, disciple in, in Malawi is Valeria Chibwana, and uh, we are in the process of you know praying about the Malawi whole Bible, the Old Testament. So the whole Bible will be completed shortly. Uh, pastor Valeria is on the in the Book of Jeremiah. He's checking uh, Jeremiah right now and working his way through Malachi, of course, and. Uh, then uh, when that's done, by God's grace, we'll have a hand in helping get the whole uh, Chichewa Bible to the to, to the Chichewa speaking people. So you'll want to be here Wednesday uh, to hear what uh, Pastor uh, Saul has to say and uh, and meet him and make those connections. So a lot of things have gone on. So uh, praise the Lord. On September 18th, I began a sermon called The Tale of Two Swords. And uh, some of you have slept since then, as have I. So I'm going to try to catch you up on that as quickly as I can. And so we talked about how there's a faithful sword, of course, of the Spirit, and it was contrasted against that faithless sword of King Saul. And so we saw how God placed his people in a place that requires faith. They only have these two swords. I mean, it's such a bad situation. Nobody has a sword. Um, but there are a couple swords available, and they're in the hands of two different men. And, we, and, uh, and so that is where our, our really the, the thrust of our message Begin. So I told you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, let's stand together and read 1 Samuel 13. I want to just read the last uh, part of this passage and then we'll uh, get back into our review and pick up where we left off. 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 19. The Bible says here, Now uh, there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. So it wasn't Jackson County. Um, that's a joke. But anyway... Um, Joseph Smith, for all those that are catching up, all right. But there, there, there was no Smith, meaning a, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, someone who could work the metal, right? A metal Smith. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. 
But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan, his son, was there found. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Michmash. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that uh, as we read this text, that the word of the Lord was precious in First Samuel chapter 3. And we find that after that, the swords, literal physical swords, were also precious. They were hard to find. And Lord, I pray today that as we come before your throne, Lord, that you would supply that most precious thing that we need today. And that is your word. Lord, we, we really don't rest in chariots. We don't, we don't trust in horses. We, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And we are so thankful that today in this group we have a sword, a sharp two-edged sword, a sword of the Spirit. And Lord, I thank you for the privilege that you have blessed this church uh, to be able to have, to, to be working even this weekend and diligently, continuously working on putting and assembling the words of God together and getting them in the hands of people and the hearts of people that need to have those words. And we pray, God, that uh, as we look into this passage, that you would uh, help us uh, be this second point that we'll get into in a few minutes. Lord, help us to be those faithful folks that have the sword of the Spirit, Lord, that go forth in the power of God and, and do things above and beyond it that we would even ask or think, because it's for your honor and your glory that we exist. We thank you for the testimonies we've heard, the praise that's been lifted, Uh, Lord, we thank you for the problems. Lord, in this room, uh, me included, there are problems. But Lord, you overcome all of those things because you're holy and you're just and you're righteous. And we know that we can trust in you. We thank you and we praise you for your word at this moment, at this hour, for the opportunity to steward the word and share the word and get the word where it needs to go on time. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we saw how the enemy of God's people removed the ability of the children of Israel to arm themselves uh, because they feared, um, of course, they would be liberated from the oppression of the Philistines. And so, um, like many Christians today, we have been domesticated, right? Our, our swords are, are, are turned into farming implements. And farming implements are not bad. They grow food, right? Um, and, uh, and you can use those. But there's times when you need a sword. And you know who should be wielding the sword, not to be misogynistic, but men should be wielding the sword. And of course, in our culture, men are becoming increasingly effeminate because this is all a, a residue, an impact of actually a departure from the Word of God. The same problems that you see in antiquity are the same problems that we have today. At the end of the day, God's Word has to be preeminent. And so, we see the text. Israel's in a bad situation, and, and, uh, and we've allowed God's enemies to take the sword out of our hand and leave us with mattocks and axes instead of instruments of war. And the problem is that, that it wasn't the sword itself, it was the heart. Something had turned in the heart. And, the, and, the, and, and understanding how to cleave to God's words uh, ended up resulting in the inability to literally cleave to the swords and defend themselves. The enemies began to overtake them. And we took a lot of time a couple of weeks ago looking at the promises given to Joshua and how Joshua encouraged the children of Israel, uh, not just in military victory, but first of all, spiritual victory right? It was the words of God and an adherence to the word of God and obedience to the word of God that brought prosperity to the nation of Israel and allowed them to conquer their enemies. And of course, um, 
they had obviously military prowess as well, but it really begins with God's wisdom and God's word and, and, and obedience to his word. And so on September 18th, I pointed out that the English politician, politician Edward Bulwer-Lytton once said, the pen is mightier than the sword. And, I, and I, if you remember, I, I agree with that statement. It's certainly true. When it comes to weapons of warfare, there's nothing mightier than the sharp two-edged sword that we have right here, right? That's why even today uh, across the world, uh, many Christians are persecuted. In China, you just can't preach this Bible as it is in truth, the very words of God, without getting a lot of blowback. Why? Because it threatens uh, kings and kingdoms. And, uh, and so uh, Joshua understood that. Uh, Joshua understood the power of his word. And because the sword is the only offensive weapon we possess, it is imperative that we hold fast to the faithful word as we've been taught. Joshua didn't change the children of Israel, uh, or he didn't charge, I'm sorry, the children of Israel uh, to hold fast to their physical swords. He didn't like leave at the end of Joshua and say, hey guys, make sure you keep your weapons. Now that's a given, obviously, you need to keep your weapons. But it wasn't about that. It doesn't do you any good to have weapons if you don't have this weapon. You don't have the word of God. And, uh, and so uh, he's like, you've got to maintain obedience to the word of God. Because it doesn't matter how many guns you have. If your heart's not right with God, you lose no matter what. And so um, the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord, Proverbs twenty three twenty one says. And our hope and our strength is in Christ. So Joshua understood that holding fast to the faithful word of God was infinitely more important than the physical weaponry. Uh, not, not that they should go without physical weaponry, so I'll just be clear about that as well. But, uh, but what happened over time, as you guys know, is after Joshua was off the scene, Israel went into a time of judges, when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Why? Because there was no king in Israel. And the king was supposed to be the Lord Jesus Christ. It was supposed to be God, Jehovah God in the Old Testament context, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he'd given his word to the nation of Israel. They were to cleave to that word, right? They were to teach it, Deuteronomy chapter 6, to their children. They were to adhere to it. Their government was supposed to be run by it. Everything in their life was dictated by the word of God. But it didn't take long before they started straying and not obeying the words. It wasn't that they didn't know the words. They didn't do what the word said. They weren't obedient to the word of God. And, of course, the enemies encompassed them. But there looked like there was a little light, wasn't there, when, when Saul came on the scene. Uh, but that was for naught. So Joshua, in Joshua 23 and verse 6, Joshua charged the children of Israel with the same charge God entrusted to him in Joshua 1, verses 8 and 9. Right? He told them that he wanted them to hold fast to the word, just to summarize it all. Right, uh, And so he, he passed on that charge to the children of Israel. He repeated the words that God gave to him and gave those to the nation of Israel. He charged them to keep his words, and they didn't do it. And we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 19. They finally got a king. They thought, oh, we'll get a king, and we'll be like all the other nations. But that didn't please uh, God, and it didn't please Samuel, of course. And if you go back and read this story, God was able to uh, work with, he was willing to work with Saul if he would just do what Joshua did, and that was obey and covet the word of God. And of course, if you know much about this story, that does not happen in the account with Samuel. So last week, back to your notes, if you have a note sheet and you're following along with notes, I've got the first uh, page filled out for you because this is what we call, we, we talked, we've already covered, which is the, the sword of faithlessness is what we found with Saul. Now Saul was the rightful king, God was willing to bless him, but it didn't work out because, well, ultimately uh, he wasn't obedient. We saw in 1 Samuel 13, 1 through 18, that Saul was in a battle of faith, and when we utilize the wrong sword, it leaves us defenseless, delusional, desperate, and distressed. 
And this week we'll also finish up disobedient, depleted, and disadvantaged. Some of you may be even here this morning, and that is where your life is. I mean, you feel defenseless, delusional, desperate, distressed, disobedient, depleted, and disadvantaged. That, in essence, is, is uh, the outline that you have on that first page with a few more on the, on the other page. The sword of faithlessness leaves uh, the sword of the faithless leaves you defenseless. We saw that in Joshua twenty three six through thirteen. Uh, it, we become defenseless when our promises are seen as problems, right? When the word of God that God has given you to give you promises turns into a problem, man. I just oh man, all that. I mean, how many of you have been there? I've been there at times. You get all these blessings, then all of a sudden it feels like a burden. Why? What's wrong with that? Uh, well, it's it's our heart. It's not that God's, nothing's changed with God. He still loves you. He still wants to bless you. But it's really our attitude toward God. We want to be in charge instead of let God be in charge. When we yield to him, man, everything goes back. The, the, the sun comes out. The birds start chirping again. Everything's good. Everything's green. It's all good. So it's really an issue of our heart uh, when we allow the promises of God to become problems. And it's easier to receive a blessing than to, than to steward it, right? So God gave Israel all of this property. He even left some enemies there so that they could learn, the next generation could learn how to go to battle. All of that was there and provided for them, but they lost it. They didn't continue on. Why? Well, because the burden of governing the blessings. Uh, they, did, they didn't really do a good job of stewarding the responsibilities that God had given them, the blessings that God had given them. Oh, man, that, that'll preach. I could stop and just preach that. Uh, but we already covered that a few weeks ago. We become defenseless when we dishonor God's words. So Saul had a problem with that. The nation of Israel had a problem with that. And uh, we saw that in Joshua 23, 7. Uh, <clears throat> and they were not even to make mention of their gods in order to swear by them, either to serve or bow down to them. There was an absolute zero tolerance for paganism. That was not to be allowed. And yet we find the nation of Israel hiding uh, through the book of Judges, uh, you know, in essence, submitting. Um, they were in a situation where they could not stand against the enemy. Uh, they, they were willing, they were, they were bowing to idols. And, and God was just, uh, you know, leading some people to say, wait a minute, the, the, the line is drawn in the sand here. There was a lot of pragmatism going on in the book of Judges. You know, ju- well, you know, you understand, the enemy's bigger than us. You understand this and that and the other. And God's like, hey, where is the man that's just going to stand up and, and go out. And he did. He found judges, right? Every so often he'd find a, a key man that would say, you know what, I'm going to believe God, even if it goes against everything else, and I'm going to take a stand, even when it's not popular. And, of course, he would give them seasons of victory in that. And so we don't honor false gods with our... When we, we don't honor God, and we, we, we don't want to honor false gods with our speech. We don't want to swear by false gods. We don't want to serve false gods. We don't want to worship false, false gods. And we grow defenseless when we lose our grip on God's word. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then we, we understand that defeat is the only thing certain when we leave ourselves defenseless. And Joshua reiterated that in Joshua twenty three thirteen. He let the children of Israel know, listen, you will not be victorious uh, when you go back from the words of the Lord. So the sword of faith the, of the faithless leaves you disillu- disillu- or delusional, I should say, not disillusioned, but delusional. And so we found our way in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 22. And I was talking to you about uh, the nation of Israel and, and how they wanted to have a king. And they, and they demanded that Samuel make a king to judge us like all the other nations. Somehow they had gotten to the place in their life that they thought the solutions to their, their national problems were found in what everybody else was doing in what we would call today the lost world, right? 
So all these pagan countries have a king. We should have a king too. We should just follow along. Not realizing that they had the king of kings and the lord of lords at their disposal. They had his word. They had his roadmap. They were not to be following the world. They were supposed to be making an impact on the world. They were the stewards of the words of God. That's why God entrusted Moses with the words of God so that they could get the word where it needs to go on time. Now, beloved, of course, that is what we are talking about here at Heartland. We are here to get the word of God where it needs to go on time. And God forbid that we would be like those that are delusional, that we need to go to the world. We need, we need more entertainment to get people. I mean, my last 30 years of, of ministry, increasingly the church is like, we need to entertain more. We need to entertain more. We need to, no, we don't need to entertain anybody. We need to get to business. Do you not see what's going on around? We need some, we need some people that are serious about the word of God. If that offends a few people or a lot of people, who really cares? Let's go forward in faith and do what God wants us to do. Let's be full of faith and, and go forward by God's grace. I get fired up about this stuff. So we also, saw that God, we also saw that God graciously warned them of exchanging God's standards for the world's standards. Right? He warned them, what would happen if you do this? Right? Uh, we talked about that in 1 Samuel 8, 6 through 18. And, uh, and, and the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice, uh, hearken under the voice of the people in all the way in all that they say I need my spectacles for they have not rejected thee but they have rejected me uh, that I should not reign over them so don't take it personal Samuel uh, they're rejecting me not you and then he goes on to talk about uh, in his mercy and grace how he's willing to bless them in spite of themselves uh, point C on your outline there that's already filled in then we saw that Israel's judgment is to reap what they have sown Right? And God says, listen, if you are obedient, I'm going to bless you. In spite of all this, I'm so full of grace. But, and if, you don't follow my word, I'm paraphrasing, right? You are going to be in a world of hurt. Uh, and so the sword of the faithless leaves you desperate and distressed. So by the time we get to chapter 13, number of rebellion, 1 Samuel 13, where we read, we find a nation and a king. It starts off good, but it ends up kind of wonky. As they're surrounded, they're outnumbered, they're retreating, uh, they're not really stable, uh, they are desperate. The, the enemies outnumber them, uh, you know, just more than tenfold. I mean, they are just, they're in a distressful situation. And so we saw how Saul claimed victories that weren't his. The word goes out, we got a king and we got a victory, but the truth is, the king had a son and, you, and he was bold and he went and got a victory, but it wasn't really the king's victory. Okay. It kind of was his victory because it was his son and he's in the kingdom. But the word goes out, like we got some great king that's going to lead us into battle. The problem was Saul was not a great king and he wasn't fit to lead him into battle. And so uh, don't claim victories that aren't yours. And, be, and, and we become desperate when we refuse to count the costs. Right? This was a big battle. And, uh, and the problem was that uh, Saul didn't have the faith for the battle that was at hand. Big battles need big faith. Right? You see that all the way through the Word of God. And you see that in your life, don't you? When you come up against a big battle, what do you need? You need big faith. And where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of God. Right? We know it, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. If you forsake this book, I promise you, there's going to come days in your life and difficulties in your life, and it will seem like those problems are going to swallow you up. Why? Because you haven't put the Word in. And you go to make it, you make a withdrawal, there ain't nothing in your account. I think all of us with gas prices and everything going on, we know what it's like to have our accounts shrinking. You want to get some money, there ain't enough there. Well, beloved, don't let that happen with your Bible. 
That's why we're about teaching the Word of God, equipping the saints of God in the Word of God. That's why we're about discipleship. Because you've got to put it in the tank if you're going to get it out. And Saul didn't have it in the tank. But his son Jonathan did. We'll talk about him here in just a minute. Saul and Israel were not prepared for the battle. They, 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 distressed, uh, they were distressed in fear and they hid uh, from the battle, right? So when you're distressed, you go into fear and you hide from the battle. Uh, and they distress and they run from the battle, right? We see all of these things happening. Uh, and then they, the distress focus on the enemy instead of the Savior. I mean, there was nobody who was really feeling confident that was hanging around Saul. Not the, Saul wasn't confident. The army wasn't confident. And, of course, Saul was taking on worship responsibilities that didn't belong to him either. And that compromises leadership. So that ends my review. All right, we're all caught up. And I want to just pick it up from there. So if you have your Bibles, look in first, we're in First Samuel. Look, pick it up in verse 11 as we're going to make our way back down to where we started this morning. In verse 11 it says, And Samuel said, What hast thou done? Well, what was he supposed to be doing? Well, he's supposed to be waiting on, on uh, Samuel to show up and offer an offering. This was already, in chapter 8, was already worked out that, they would, that uh, he was going to meet him there and, and offer and so what happens is he doesn't. In verse 8 it says, And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and a peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, Samuel came right on time. And Saul went out to meet him, and that he might salute him. Nothing wrong here. Uh, other than I'm the king, not a priest. I'm from Benjamin, you know, so I'm not in the right tribe to do all this. Verse 11, and Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me, which he is at least honest, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore said I, capital I there, of course it's always capital I, but the point is I, 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 it's all about me. The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and have not made, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. Oh man, Samuel, I forced myself therefore, and offered a burnt offering. You know, I'm such a good guy that I, I just went ahead and broke all the things that God had said, and I just did it myself because it had to be done. And look at Samuel; he's, Samuel's so understanding. And Samuel said to Saul, "Thou hast done foolishly." Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now uh, would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. He's like, all you had to do was obey God. He put a little pressure on you, king, to see what was going to come out. And what came out was faithlessness instead of faithfulness. See, when the pressures of life come upon you, what is God looking for? He's looking for faithfulness, people who hold fast to his promises. God made some promises. Saul obviously knew that there was an appointed time. He's very clear about it. But when things didn't go the way he wanted, he bailed. And Saul, or Samuel says, that was foolish. That was foolish, Saul. So point four, the sword of faithlessness results in disobedience. The sword of faithlessness results in disobedience. Beloved, when I'm, when I'm disobedient, and I am, unfortunately, in my, at times, when we're disobedient, so let's say we, Right? Is there anyone in here that's not disobedient at times? Don't raise your hand. I, I do fear lightning. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> I was sitting in Elle's room looking out, out, of, out, of, out of the... They got all these lightning rods right now here in her hospital room. I'm thinking, man, it'd be cool to sit here and watch that. But it's still even, even if it doesn't hit you, it'd be scary to be that close to lightning. You know, lightning is... So my point is simply this. 
We all, we all sin and fall short, don't we? Aren't you glad for God's grace? But there are times when God's pro- He's proven us, right? Prove all things, hold fast that which good, which is good. And this is a case where God's proven Saul. And he's like, hey, Saul, this was the test. I'm not asking you to single-handedly go out here and micmash and destroy all this army. I'll take care of that, just like I have in years past. Just like I did with Joshua. I mean, I use trumpets. I use bees. I use, uh, I use uh, the jawbone of an ass. I use uh, clay pots and, and, uh, and lamps. I mean, I can save you. I can save you without a weapon. You don't even have to have swords. I can go out and take care of business. So Saul, all I need you to do is just do what I told you, the way I told you to do it. I need you to be obedient. I need you to be obedient. Just follow instructions. And he couldn't do that. Because the arm of the flesh and the sword of man leaves us defenseless and delusional, desperate, and leads us to disobedience. So Saul disobeyed the Lord's commands, as we saw here in the text. So Saul's disobedience led to his disinheritance. His disobedience led to his disinheritance. Some opportunities only come around once. And this one is a big mistake for Saul that he could not recover from. Beloved, I, I don't know if some of you are called, like, I mean, we're all called to salvation, so if you're not saved today, God is calling you to be born again. Uh, no doubt about it. That is the will of God. He calls all men everywhere to repent, Acts chapter 17. All right, so, so all of us are called to salvation, and once we're called, to, after we're saved, after we're born again, then he calls us to service, doesn't he? And, and all of us are called. You go to Romans chapter 1, there's not one Christian that is not called. So if you're a Christian, you're looking for that great mighty call of God. When's it going to come on me, man? It's on you if you're born again. He's calling you to obedience. Just go read through the book of Romans. When you get to chapter 12, you'll start to figure it out. The first verse is there. You'll figure it out that God has a plan for your life, and he wants to take you somewhere. Uh, Now, specifically, uh, God's will is for all of us to follow him in obedience, but God's plan varies, right, depending on each one of us. And there are times in your life where he does bring you to crossroads. There's big decisions, like who you marry right? Um, maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a big house purchase, which you're going to, you know, there are certain things where you're like, man, Lord, this is really a big decision. It's not as big as your salvation, but if you mess it up, you mess it up. I've been there. I remember when God, I had an open door in Pennsylvania and I felt really like God was shutting the door. And man, I was just so worried. I'm like, Lord, if I say no to this, am I saying no to your call for me to be a pastor? I mean, I just, I was just beside myself with uh, just, Lord, I don't want to make the wrong decision. I want to make the right decision, but what seems like the right decision doesn't seem like the right decision. You know, you ever been in those four wild loops and you're just sitting there churning over that thing because God doesn't just make it super, super clear. What's he doing? He's trying your heart. He's proving your heart. Now I can look back now and see, I know what he was doing. Then the next opportunity was Harrisonville. And this is where I am. I still haven't left. And so, um, but the point is, is that God puts you in situations where you have to trust him. And he'll put a pressure cooker on you too, right? Especially when you're in leadership and in responsibility. Because that's, he needs, you know why he does that? That's a blessing. He needs faithful people in those positions. He needs people that won't buckle and fold when the heat's on, right? Because the heat's going to be on and there needs to be examples of, of believers. People who believe the word of God, even in difficult circumstances. Saul, unfortunately, wasn't doing very good. Because of that, he lost the promises, the inheritance that God had for him. In spite of all of that, by the way, how gracious is God? Man, people paint God as this, you know, big evil monster. Even in the Old Testament, I see so much grace by God in the Old Testament. If you don't understand grace, it's not because just of the New Testament, it's because you haven't even read the Old Testament. 
I mean, Noah found grace. I mean, Saul found grace. I mean, he had opportunities to be successful if he just obeyed. I mean, God was so good that we're not. So you don't want to lose your opportunity to have an inheritance, and, and that can happen for us as, you know, application-wise as Christians. So point five, the sword of the faithless leaves you depleted. In verses 15 through 16, that's what we see. He says, no, Samuel, uh, Saul, you've lost it. You've lost the opportunity. Uh, it's over. Verse 14, but now the kingdom shall be continued. I'm not going to lose my kingdom, but you're going to lose your opportunity. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And Samuel arose and got him up from Gilgal unto Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people that were present with him, about 600 men. Verse 16, And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people that were present with him abode in Gibeah and of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And so they're out in Gibeah, over in the, in the area over by the Jordan River, and there they are waiting. And so here, uh, they're just miles from the stronghold of Philistine. I'm sorry, they moved from over, that was uh, uh, not Gibeah, uh, Gilgal. So they moved from Gilgal to Gibeah. So now they're just a few miles uh, from Michmash with just 600 troops. And that's exactly how likes, God likes to get the glory, right? We've seen it uh, over and over in the book of Judges. Uh, as God uses the weak things to confound the wise, you don't have to have the biggest army. You just need to believe God, and he'll bring the victory. So God, through Samuel, had moved them to a location south of this great ravine to the south of Michmash that provided some safety as it was not easy, an easy pass that could, uh, that could uh, quickly you know, be accessed to the children of Israel. So God geographically put them in a little safer per- situation uh, because it would cost the Philistines too many casualties uh, to, to go directly south toward the children of Israel. But uh, as, as you read in and you check it out, I don't have time to get into all the details, the nation of Is- the, the Philistines start to kind of go out and, and kind of surround them in a, in a very broad way with their forces, and they are very much outnumbered and surrounded. So when you feel like you're tired, depleted, and on the verge of being defeated, take heart, because you're probably about to see the Lord move on your behalf. I mean, it looks like this is bad news, but it's really good news. God's going to use this thing in the life of the nation of Israel. So the sword of faithlessness, uh, the faithless, I'm sorry, the sword of the faithless leaves you disadvantaged. In verses 17 through 18, that's what we see. And the, and the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned under the way that leadeth the uh, uh, <clears throat> opera, I want to say Oprah, and to the land of Shaul. And the other company turned the way of Beth Horon, and the other company turned to the way of, of the border that looked toward the valley of Zeboam, toward the wilderness. All right, so uh, these moves that they're making, without getting out a big map, are, they're, they're basically fanning out around this location that is just south of Michmash. And Israel is surrounded geographically. Israel is smithless, as we started off talking about. And they are swordless, as we saw in verse 22, other than what John, Jonathan and Saul seem to have in their possession. So the enemies had control of the sword production, uh, just like today in, the, in Christianity today, uh, it's quoted, uh, I, I looked in the, the publication, um, and there's, a, there's actually a, uh, a statistics company called Quartz that states that the majority of Bibles printed in the entire world, where, would they, where do you think they come from? Yeah, China. I mean, I'm, I'm like going through this passage thinking, how ironic. If I took my Bible and went to China right now and got up and wanted to preach this message, there would be a problem. And yet those are the people who make the most 
who produce the most Bibles in the world because they're happy to make money off of, of the Bible, uh, but they don't want to preach in their country. Uh, and so the concern in 2019 was that if, if tariffs on the Chinese goods would cost... Uh, when I, in 2019, there was concerns that tariffs on Chinese goods would cause the cost of Bibles to rise 25%. I mean, when we talk about a... We talk about food shortages. What about a Bible shortage? You know, we had Al Bradley come in, and, and you heard Dale Money, and you've seen Bearing Precious Seeds testimony. You know, when, when that ministry was started, uh, Brother Frazier, wasn't, he wasn't with Bearing Precious Seed. He, wasn't do- he was a friend of Dr. Keene's. His whole, his, whole, his whole heart was that the church of the living God should steward the publication of the Word of God. Why? Because that brother, uh, back when the earth at 60% of the earth was still illiterate, uh, which is only last century, uh, he could see that there could come a time when you couldn't get a hold of a Bible if it wasn't in the hands of the church producing it. You see what I'm saying? So what we're doing with Bible production is important. It may be more important than you realize. Maybe more important than you realize for yourself and for others that speak your language. Me and Randy and the, and the Bible publishing team, uh, Pastor Bob... We were all surprised. We ran our first English Bibles. You know, we just did it to be, you know, seat our own church, seat our own community. I don't know, a couple thousand Bibles. I don't remember, but we were like a couple thousand Bibles. We were excited. First one off the press, we took it to Bhutan. That was cool, you know, and it was awesome and it was great. Within two years, we were out and we were gone. We had to reproduce more Bibles in our own church, in our own language, in our own culture. Why? Because we found, you know, what? There's a, there's people that want the Word of God in the English language. I mean, there's brothers, I just, I mean, I got uh, my brother JB right here. He hands them out. He comes and gets boxes of Bibles from people at his office. Take them. I mean, people want the Bible more than you realize. The problem isn't a thirst for the Word of God. The problem is actually the church realizing what we got, right? We're worried about buildings. We get worried about money. We get worried about a lot of things. But at the end of the day, the big thing that we need to have is a high, high value of the words of God, especially the King James Bible. The, the perfectly preserved word in English, man. We've got it. Why in the world? I mean, what in the world? Do you think China's going to take care of that for us? You're kidding. Do you think some corporation's going to take care of that for you? Nah. Beloved, we've got to take care of the words of God. No, don't get me wrong. God, who takes, God always takes care of his words, right? You can, we, we know how God preserves his word. It's miraculous. But we understand that an army needs swords, Right? They don't need to have dull farm implements. There's, farm implements are great. Right, uh, yeah, I can lead anyone to Christ out of a Bible, but I'm not going to have a right dispensational view of the Scripture. I'm not going to be able to rightly divide. I'm not going to be able to train an army like, like Abraham, 300 trained servants to go out and route a, a, a confederate army of five nation states. If you don't have men that understand the book and are trained, you're not going to get the sharp two-edged sword anywhere else than in the Bible that we use. It just is the truth. All right. So Israel. Well, Israel's soldierless. The world has successfully converted the citizen warriors of Israel to depend on to be dependent farmers without weapons of war. They've been domesticated. It's scary to talk about war and warriors. I mean, I've even had people say, Brian, you know, you talk a lot about war. What's up with you? I was at a conference one time, and someone said, man, are you, were you in the military? I'm like, nope, I'm just in God's army. 
I, I think in military terms, not because I'm a soldier in the sense of I've been in the United States military, but because I've read this book since I was 17 years old. This is how God thinks. There are real objectives that God has on this planet, and he needs them to be accomplished, and he needs people to grow beyond their infancy in Christ and grow into mature Christians that can handle the word of God, not just the pastor, not just the, not just the, the deacon. Uh, all, the, all, the, all those men should certainly handle the words of God, and a lot of them aren't doing that the way, not in our church, God forbid, but I mean, a lot of men in the, are not in pulpits really studying the words of God. So yes, the leaders should do that, but every man, every woman in the church ought to know their Bibles. There's nothing more important than the words of God. There's nothing more important than the precepts of what God has given to us. He's entrusted to us. He is expecting us to be faithful to the words of God, to do them, not just know about them, and implement them in our lives, and step out by faith. And when the pressure cooker of life comes, we've got something to show, and it is faith in God Almighty, because he's true. Instead of being an army saved out of bondage of Egypt, they become domesticated servants, behaving as if they were simply cattle, not the chosen of God Almighty. They had an identity problem. They didn't understand who they were in Christ. So the tale of two swords, the sword of the the faithless leaves us defenseless, delusional, Desperate, disobedient, depleted, and disadvantaged. But beloved, if we don't take heed to publish the words of God and publish the word of God in general, I mean preach the word of God, not just I'm not talking just about you know physical Bible publication, our families and our churches and our nation will be in exactly the same state as the nation of Israel. Unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. Uh, there is a Jonathan. Hallelujah to you, right? So Jehovah has given. That's, the name. That's what Jonathan's name means. Jehovah has given. And you know what? It's not terrible news. He's like, hey, Saul, you are no, you're no longer uh, qualified, but there is a young man that is. And that's just where he leaves it. Now, I think if you're Saul, you probably think, maybe it's my son Jonathan. If you read the rest of the account, I'm pretty sure that's what Saul was thinking. Uh, he wasn't tuned in to David. David became a threat to him. But the son of the king is a picture of Christ who goes forth with his armor bearer to claim victory in the face of what happened, or what appeared to be certain defeat. In 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 22, the Bible makes it clear that in the day of battle, there was only two swords to be found. This is 1 Samuel 13, 22. And one, on one hand, uh, the faithless man had his sword. He was chosen by popular vote. And the other hand was his son given by Jehovah to bring deliverance in a fashion prescribed by the word of God, which was by faith. One man was faithless, the other man was faithful. And therein lies the difference between the two swords. And I prayed this morning that every man, woman, and child in this, in this church, uh, everyone listening, that's who we want to be. I don't think anybody wants to grow up and be faithless. Anybody want to be faithless? No, I hope not. Let's all pray that we're faithful. Let's, get, let's end on a good note here. So let's just finish this up and we'll be done. So the sword of the Spirit, of course, is that faithful sword. 1 Samuel 14. Let's go to the next chapter. Look down in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young men that bear his armor, Come, and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. Okay, so he's like, Hey, Guys, I'm going to go forward. I want to go forward into the battle. Point one, the sword of the Spirit. You know what it does? It prepares you for battle. The reason that, that, that he was ready was not just because he had a sword, right? It was because he had a relationship with God. 
He didn't just have a sword. He did have a sword, which was important. But most importantly, he had a relationship with God Almighty. The sword of the Spirit, right, is the words of God. The the key of David is the words of God. He had that thing that his buddy David would end up having, and that is a faith in what God said. He was willing to believe that God would take his minuscule sword and drive out armies, and he'd already proven it because he had already gone into a garrison uh, by himself and, and got this thing stirred up to start with and brought a great victory. I mean, he was already moving forward by faith. He was ready to take the next step. Point A, soldiers are to be prepared for the evil day. You know, Ephesians 6, 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. See, Jonathan and his armor bearer were prepared for the day of battle. And what seemed rash to everybody else in Israel seemed reasonable to a man filled with faith. Proverbs 21, 31 says, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. You know what? Jonathan lived like that. He wasn't trusting in his sword. He wasn't trusting in his chariot. He wasn't trusting in his armor bearer. He was trusting in God. And Jonathan didn't place his trust in men or his weapon. He placed his trust in, in the words of God. Psalm 20, verse 6 says, Now uh, know that I, the Lord, save with his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will remember. We will remember the name of the Lord our God. What is his name, class? The Lord Jesus Christ. We know his name. Jonathan, point B, in his weakness, heads straight for their enemy's strength. We see that Jonathan has a thing uh, for, for garrisons, right? So he's already struck the garrison of the Philistines at Geba in 1 Samuel thirteen three, And now he's pressing northward a few miles to the passage of Michmash where the, he intends to punish uh, the enormous army, all by himself if necessary. I mean, is this guy on a death sentence? I mean, what in the world? He's like, they make movies about guys like this. You know, that one, you watch some of these silly movies, you know, like whoever, Tom Cruise or uh, the, my favorite, Jason Bourne, of course. These guys can just, they can defeat an army all by themselves. And you're like, well, in real life, they'd be dead now, but it, 10 times over, or 100 times over. But you know what? This guy, Jonathan, he's that guy. I mean, he's going out by himself with his armor bearer. He's like, hey, there's a garrison. Let's take it on. And he is full of faith. Almost to the point that you'd say, that's foolish. But you know what? He wanted to drive the enemy. Why was he so confident? Because he understood who the enemy was and that God wanted them eradicated from the, 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 the inheritance that he had given his chosen people. See, there were things in his world, in his life, that he just knew wasn't right. right? I see things fly across my Facebook feed. And I'm looking at the Facebook feed going, that's not right. I, can't, I don't want to watch this. What do I do with it? I've got to pray about it. Someone's getting assaulted. or so, I, I like MMA. So, you know, one minute I'm watching the MMA thing. And next thing you know, because they, they, you know, they know what you like to watch. Next thing you know, some street fight. I'm like, whoa, stop. I don't want to watch brawlers. Get that out of my eye sockets. But then I'm troubled. I'm like, you know what, Lord, that's going on. There's kids beating people up. I mean, we all it's real world. We all understand all that. We've probably all been involved in some of that. But at the end of the day, God hates it. I hate it. I hate sin. Do you hate sin? Like Job, you know, he eschewed evil. That means he hated it, man. He hated it. He wasn't just like, well, you know, I'm just going to go along and get along. No, he's like, he's up early. He's praying over his kids. He's offering sacrifices. He knows they live in a wicked world. He hates evil. He don't want it in his family. Right? He's not trying to be a legalist. He just knows that God has a standard, and what he sees all around him isn't it. Right, So that's the kind of guy Jonathan was. 
Like, like I've read the stories. There was a time we were prosperous. There was a time God gave us the land. There were guys like Joshua. There were guys like Caleb. There was a time when God blessed us. Why is he not blessing us now? What has changed? It's not God. Oh, maybe it's us. Maybe our hearts need to be changed. Maybe we need to believe God's word. Jonathan was that guy. He is either courageous or crazy, but God is with him in his zeal to, to drive the enemies out of the land. You know, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, the Bible says, and, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul was like crazy man. He's like, bring it on. I can't wait to die because I've already seen the third heaven. Get me there as quick as possible. I take pleasure in necessities. I take pleasure in problems. Why? Because I know my God is so big. He is so good. My God is able. And notice the contrast between Saul and Jonathan. Back in our text in 1 Samuel 14. Now we've moved on to that next chapter. Verse 2. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migran. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahadab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli. Now we're going back to Eli in chapter 3. The Lord's priest in Shiloh wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. You know, they didn't even know where the faithful man was. Isn't that how it is sometimes? While Saul was waiting on a message that would never come through Elimelech, Jonathan was executing the will of God by faith. There was not going to come a great word from God. He'd already given it through Samuel. You got the message, pal. Now what? Unless we think Saul was serious about inquiring of the Lord, by the way, which I believe if he was, God would have probably given him a message. He's so out of touch, uh, he, sta- he staves off uh, troops <clears throat> with an unsanctioned fast. This guy doesn't even understand what he's doing. First Samuel 14, I don't have time, but in verses 24 through 25, he, he, he implements a fast. He's like, oh, let's start, let's start beating ourselves up so we can earn favor with God. And before you beat up on the Roman Catholics, there's a lot of Baptists who do that, Right? self-flagellation, where they beat themselves and they, you know, earning favor with God. Muslims do it. Roman Catholics historically have done that. They still do. It's called asceticism, right? Like if you just, if you, just you know, fast more, uh, you, you afflict yourselves more, right, then that'll earn more favor with God. No, that, that's not biblical at all in the New Testament. Well, even in the Old Testament. He's like, takes his whole army. Okay, class, we're going to starve ourselves to death, so God will give us favor. So he knows we're serious. God says, I would know you're serious if you would believe my word. You don't have to add extra layers of religiosity to this thing. Just take me at my word and go. Just believe it and go. Go you therefore. Go, go, go. You're free. All things are free. We're in the New Testament. Go. You don't have to beat yourself up, man. You are under grace. Jonathan's under grace, man. He knows all I got to do is go with God's word. Beloved, in time, in history, in dispensations, all seven of them, there is not a better time ever to just go with God's word than there is now. I mean, we are at such liberty. It's unbelievable. All things are lawful, man. But not all things are expedient, so kick that other stuff to the side and go with God. Saul wasn't serious. He casts lots and almost murders his son for eating honey. 
Come on, man. He's going to throw his son under the bus. Everybody's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Dude, what is wrong with you? Problem was he wasn't following God. Point two, the sword of the Spirit positions you strategically for victory. See, in verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, The forefront of the one was situated northward over against Michmash, and the other southward against Gibeah. Jonathan positions himself strategically for the victory. Bozes means shining rock, and Senna is a thorny place. Jonathan is between a shiny rock and a thorny hard place, and it is just the right place because the Philistines had no interest in traversing that treacherous pass. They didn't want to get down in there because they knew, as mighty as they were, they were going to suffer casualties. Jonathan understood that he and God made up the difference. All he needed was God, and that was enough. And it was in this setting, under these circumstances, that Jonathan uttered one of the most edifying statements a warrior could ever hear. Look down at verse 6. 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. The Bible says, And Jonathan said to the young man, of course that's his armor bearer, that bear his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Woo! Man, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen? I mean, this brother is like, hey, if we're going to die in a battle, man, let's go out guns a-blazing. If God's going to work, this is, a great, this is a great scenario for him to get the glory. You, you all in? Armor bearer's like, sir, yes, sir, let's go. I mean, woo, I love that. I read that. I've been so encouraged. I have literally been encouraged by that in real life, though, in this church building. We showed up to go out to, on invitation, which we need to do again coming up. Is that next week? Next week. <coughs> to uh, invite people to the harvest party. And I don't know if it's harvest party or some other engagement. We're sitting out here in the foyer. And I mean, I'd, I promoted it, I'd talked, and of course, 300 people showed up to go out. Uh, no. And this is when our church was really big. I mean, we were double what we are now, uh, big by Cass County standards. And so, there's a faithful brother in the foyer. He's sitting right there. He preached a couple weeks ago. And he says, uh, he, we all get, and he, he, for some reason, he's leading the prayer. And he says, well, Lord, you can save by many or by few. And man, when he said that, it was like, just... I don't, it was like liquid encouragement, you know, just boom. And I was like, that is true. We don't need, we don't need 250 people. God can use five. And we went. And uh, I don't know what happened. I don't remember. But I know God was glorified because it's true. There are people that still believe God's word. That he can, he can get the victory by many or by few. Matter of fact, you guys know the story of Gideon, right? Sometimes God has to prune things down just so we don't take the credit. And we give God the glory. So in verse 6 there, Jonathan, he's ready to go. There's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. So what limits you? And what, are, what limits are you placing on God? Right? Oh, there's not enough people. There's not enough money. There's not enough time. What, what, do we, what excuses do we bring? In the Gospels, Jesus was speaking to his disciples of the rich man entering through a very difficult eye of the needle, right? You guys are familiar with that, most of you. Jesus says that when it comes to salvation, the impossible is made possible because God. God makes it possible. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. All things are possible. And what an encouragement the Lord is. How can you just forsake a passage like Matthew 19, 26? 
You can know that passage or you can believe that passage, right? There's two different ways to look at that thing. And so, point E, we need to throw, uh, we need to throw a shout-out to the armor-bearer, too. The no-named armor-bearer. Picture the Holy Ghost, right? Net, just doesn't get any credit. Don't even know his name. I was listening to some charismatic song yesterday. They're throwing the spirit around like he's, a, he's an inanimate object. I'm like, that is a person, you know. <laughs> the Holy Ghost is the third person of the Godhead. So the church is messed up on the Holy Ghost today. But anyway, man, I love the picture here. 1 Samuel 14, 7. And the armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Man, you know what? That same comfort, that same bond that Jonathan and his armor bearer had is the same comfort that the Lord Jesus Christ left with us. Matthew 28, right? How's he in that last sentence? Behold, I'm with thee always, even till the end of the world. How's he with us always? Well, we know from Acts chapter 2. Hey, hold up, boys. Wait till I send the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2, Holy Ghost comes. Boom, we got the Holy Ghost. He is with us always, even till the end of the world. The Holy Ghost is in us. And he's encouraging us. And you know like I know, it's like good music that's on time and everything's right. You just know that's good music. Right? There's times when you read the Word of God, you hear a sermon, you hear a message, you're reading your devotions, and it's like, that is just perfectly tuned, man. That is God's voice speaking to me. That's the Holy Ghost teaching you all things whatsoever I have said unto you. And that's precious. You hold on to that. You clutch it in your heart. I know I like to throw out a lot of devotional thoughts, but you're kidding if you think all the things that God gives me are going out on Facebook. There's some things that don't belong on Facebook, right? They just go in your heart. They go in your heart, and you clutch those things, and you hold on to them, and when the, when the time comes, man, they'll drive you forward in the face of battle. They'll drive you to a narrow place, not so you can be destroyed against all odds, but so you can beat all odds, and God can be glorified. There's so much I want to say, but I'm running out of time. Man, the guy who read, heads up our Word First ministry, that's Pastor Randy. Is, Randy, you're that kind of guy. I mean, Randy's that guy. He's like, against all the odds, he's leading ministry, heading up HBI. Man, we're blessed. We're blessed to have you, Randy. I appreciate you. I mean, I do appreciate you, but I, I appreciate your faithfulness to the Lord. I appreciate him in a lot of ways, but, man, he's an example. You got living epistles all over this church. Not all of them are just pastors. I mean, I, Bobby's in here. She's, she's struggling, but she's here. Kevin, Kevin Thompson calls me last night. He's like, Brian, I, I wanted to come, but I just got out of the ER. <laughs> I'm like, brother, slow roll, man. Slow your roll. It's okay. You know, you need a little R&R. Be praying for him. His hip's doing great, but he is having, I think he may have overdone it. I'm not sure. Pray there's no infection or something going on there. He's got a lot of oozing, so be praying for our brother Kevin. But he's like, man, I wanted to be at church. Praise God. There's a tenacity there that God gives his saints, isn't there? You see that in Jonathan. You see it in David. You see it in people that, that press forward in the battle. Point three, the, Lord, the sword of the Spirit provides you ability to communicate clearly. In verses 8 through 10, it says, Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. I mean, we're going to just say, Here we are! Verse 9, and if they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and will not go up unto them. Uh, But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. (laughs) I love it. 
I mean, he's like super crisp and clear. He's like, okay, here's the deal. Uh, either they're going to come down and try to get us, or we're gonna, they're going to invite us up to get whooped. And either way, they're ours. So we're going to just do what they want, and we're going to bring them a whooping, right? I'm like, yes, sir. Man, what a dude. Jonathan is the man. And so Jonathan doesn't say we might pass over. He says we will pass over, and we will discover ourselves unto them. We're going to make ourselves known <laughs> that God's people have shown up. All two of them. <laughs> Talk about crazy faith. We, we know a brother like that. His name's Doug Pearson. Crazy faith. He'll travel the world. He'll show up all by himself to see God bring a victory. And when he's done, he'll leave an army behind him. It, not just of him, but, you know, I mean, God, God works through crazy faith. No matter their response, the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, Jonathan says. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what they do. We're just going to play off their cue, and then we're going to slay them. Okay? So it's just like going out witnessing. Uh, they're either going to say, get off my porch, or they're going to say, come in and talk. Well, either way, I'm going to share Jesus. There, problem solved. Go you therefore. <laughs> you know, either way. It may be your salvation, your service, your calling. I don't know what it is, but if you are walking with God and led by the Spirit of the living God and have the sharp two-edged sword in your heart, in your heart, not just in your hand, not just as a, as a, as a decoration that you like to show around, which nobody does anymore. It used to be the cool thing. Um, um, man, if it's, if it's more than that, God's got it in your heart. And you know what? I pray to God that you have supernatural confidence. It is scary to go into spiritual conflicts. And I'm not talking about some crazy war scenario. I'm talking about walking across the street or talking to a neighbor or, or somebody who comes in your sphere of influence. You know, when you let yourself be known, I'm riding with Jesus. Because people don't really know that you're riding with Jesus until you show yourself. And then once you show yourself, it's on. Because you know, because you're born again. That God has an objective with your life that has nothing to do with your intentions outside of his intentions for your life. Right? So whatever the, the, the deal was at work, whatever it was at school, whatever it was when you were uh, walking through the neighborhood, uh, wherever you're at, once it's known and you've shown yourself to be a Christian, you understand who you're repping. You're representing Jesus. And you know what Jesus wants to bring is a victory. He wants all men everywhere to be saved. He loves this world. He sent his son to die. You know what? It's our, it behooves us then to accommodate the Father in heaven and go out and do his bidding. What a reproach it is when we show ourselves. And I've been there. I've seen this really as a reproach in the workplace. People show themselves, oh, I'm a Christian, but then they don't back it up at all. Zero faith. And they continue on to barbecue with the philistines you know it's just a reproach there's no care for their soul there's no intention of leading them to christ there's no effort it's, it's ugly that's not jonathan that's not his armor bearer point four the sword of the spirit prov provides you ability to execute valiantly man in verse 11 it says and both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the philistines and the philistines said behold the hebrews come forth out of holes where they had hid themselves all two of them and the men of, of the garrison answered jonathan and his armor bearer and said come up to us and we will show thee a thing <laughs> and jonathan said unto his armor bearer come up after me for the lord hath delivered them into the hand of israel Man, he is repeating himself. We are on victory lane. We're on victory lane. Let's go. Verse 13. And Jonathan climbed up uh, his, uh, upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. 
I mean, they had to literally climb rocks and climb to get to the battlefield. And this is such a crazy story that only God could deliver this kind of victory. It would have taken nothing for them to be slaughtered by the Philistines. But God brought them to the place where they had a remarkable victory. It was an impossible victory. And verse 14 says, And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men uh, within, as it were, a half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. You know what? Those, that enemy was full of fear. Beloved, do you understand how incredibly important it is for us, us not to be given to fear? God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. What seemed crazy to everybody else was perfectly rational to Jonathan. He's like, let's go. Let's climb up the rocks. Let's get there. Okay, now, 20. Okay, they're done. Next. Why? The enemy was in fear. Now, obviously, we're not in the business of killing people. We're in the business of resurrecting people. The message that we bring is one of life because the people that we're addressing are already dead. What do we have to fear, beloved? We're alive from the dead. And we go into environments where people are dead. All we need to do is go out and touch them and let the Lord raise them to life through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These people were dead. They were in fear. They didn't know. They didn't know how defeated they were. They were defeated before Jonathan ever got there. Point five, the sword of the spirit produces victory supernaturally. In verse 15, it says, And there was, a trem- there was trembling in the hosts of the field, and all the people, the garrison, the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked. Man, now the earth is getting into this thing. So it was a very great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, a multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. Once again, once again, God has delivered miraculously, as he has always done for Israel, even in contemporary times. And the enemy goes away, beating themselves up, killing themselves on the way out. Just because some couple guys said, hey, we're going to walk by faith, not by sight. God wrought a supernatural victory. You might remember when Jesus conquered the grave, what happened, right? The Holy Ghost, he gave up the ghost and the earthquake. That was a sign of the Jews and the Romans. Matthew 27, 54, now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake... Those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. You better believe it. Jesus rose from the grave. He has conquered sin and death. God wrought the victory, and the enemy fled, beating one another like they had watched too much social media. So with a a lesson to remember, that a lot of things that, that we worry about and fear will destroy themselves over time if we simply respond by faith. Oh, beloved, don't be swallowed up in fear. A lot of the things that you're all worried about, that I get all worried about, they'll take care of themselves. We take care of the words of God and His promises. We go forth by faith. That's what we do, point six. I'll be about done. The sword of the Spirit provides Philadelphian unity. When you get back to verses 19 through 22, uh, we see that there is a unifying factor now because Israel's back together. And this pattern continues on throughout the Scripture. And it came to pass while Saul talked unto the priests that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thine hand. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. You know where the answer came? Uh, they were putting up petitions. The answer was over there with Jonathan. 
And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great discomfiture. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines, notice that, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines, you know, some people had defected before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Some people just want a winner, don't they? You don't want to be that guy. So while Saul was getting more and more religious, calling for the Ark of the Covenant, tearing under the pomegranate tree, you know, beating themselves up with a fast they didn't need, God is on the move, destroying the enemies of God. And Saul is as slow to realize that God has given a tremendous victory. So after taking inventory, he finds that his son the armor, and the armor bearer, bearer are missing and had already engaged the enemy. And we saw in verse 21 how the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. You know what? There's some brothers right now. They're not riding with us. We just had a testimony, man. Travis just told his, his, you were disillusioned. You weren't riding with us. You know why? Because you hadn't seen any victory. Nicole and Travis are riding with us now. Why? Because they've come to a place where they, this is with the victory right here. Right here. This book and people who believe it and, and live like they believe it. That's the key. Right? There's, there's people that are disillusioned. I, I was not brought up in the church, so I've never really been... I've been in terrible church situations, but because I came out of the world, I don't view the church like some of y'all that have been born again. Born like my kids, raised in the church. It's family. Right? For me, it's an army, because that's just who I am. And it's family. But, man, you can get hurt in church, is what I'm trying to get to, can't you? There's some people who have been hurt. There's some people that don't see the victory. They see hypocrisy. They just ride with whoever they think is going to win. And you can look down on them or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know what? The best way to affect them is to go out and get some victory. Just go out and follow Jesus. And that is contagious, beloved. God, people want to follow that. People want to follow Jesus. They want to go where the victory's at. Because the fearful people become faithful. They ended up going. Likewise, verse 22, all the men of Israel which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim. So there's also brothers that are scared. They, when they heard the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them into battle. I mean, even the marginal saints, man. Even the ones that are, their knees are knocking and they're scared and they're not, they're not confrontational. All of a sudden, there's a victory that comes because somebody, somewhere, believes the word of God and they're willing to go forward by faith. And all of a sudden, all you have is a mighty army of God's people. Even the weak need gets strong and they get some steel in their backbone and they're willing to come out and say, I'm with Jesus. I'm riding with Jesus no matter what. Let's go get him. Beloved, that's what I pray happens in this church. The sword of the Spirit promotes God's glory. For the victory. Verse 23, and we'll be done. So the Lord, this is what he did. He saved Israel that day. He saved Israel that day. And the battle passed over unto Beth Haven. The Lord gets the glory for the victory. Not Saul. Not Jonathan. Not the army of the Israelites. It's not the preacher. It's not the the ministries. It's not all of that. It's Jesus. It's his words. And that's why we put his word at an elevation. And we understand that his words are important. His words are worth working on. His words are worth spending money on. His words are worth getting to difficult places. His words are everything that we've got. They're more important than our food. They're more important than our building. They're more important than our money. They're more important than anything. 
They're what the Lord Jesus Christ has left us with his spirit and this body so that people can see the victory. And most importantly, so he can get the glory. Which brings me to the conclusion of the matter. You know, Saul started off stealing glory that wasn't his. But at the end of the passage in chapter 14, God gets the glory that rightly belongs to him. Amen? Let me ask you as we conclude, is God getting glory out of your life? Are you defenseless, delusional, desperate, disobedient, depleted, and disadvantaged? Or are you prepared for the battle? Are you taking advantage of what this church has to offer? Discipleship 1, Discipleship 2, Adult Bible Fellowships, Heartland Bible Institute. I mean, how far do you want to really go? It's there for you. Whether you're in this building or you're watching online, come here. Move from Texas. Move from Alabama. I don't care. Come here. We will get the Bible in you, and we will train you, and we will go forward by faith. No, I don't have all the answers, but God does. God's all we need. He wants to get glory from our lives, beloved. And he deserves it. Are you prepared for the battle? Are you positioned strategically, communicating clearly, executing God's will valiantly, living victoriously, unified in the fight, and is our life giving God glory? Just take that and measure yourself against it, and you'll see where you are this morning. Let's pray. Let's stand together in an attitude of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank for this opportunity to see the tale of two swords.